Well, good morning, family. Jacob was messed up. In fact, when you look at his life, it was just one screw-up after another. I mean, if you go back to his grandpa, you had Abraham, who gets this great covenant with God, this great promise from God, and God tells Abraham, says, look, with your descendants, with your family is going to come a great nation, and there will even be great kings in this nation. Eventually, this nation will bless the entire world, and this blessing gets passed on down to his son, Isaac, and then Isaac has two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the oldest. He's the one who should get the blessing, the promise of God. He's also the one who's supposed to get the birthright, the, the, to be the patriarch of his family, to have, have the financial blessing, to have uh, the land and property, to kind of be the guy running the show. But then there's Jacob. Jacob's kind of a jerk. <laughs> he cheats his way to the top. He, he deceives his father, he, he steals and deceives from his brother. Even later in life, he deceives his father-in-law. And I'm pretty sure, as Jacob begins to look at his own life, he doesn't like how it's playing out. Jacob wishes he was a different kind of man. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that you're just not the man or the woman you wish you were? And it's not for lack of trying. It's not, it's not that you don't have those good days where you kind of seem to start getting it right and things are lining up how you think they should line up. But then all of a sudden there's just that mess up, that screw up, and all of a sudden you're back down to the ground, or, or maybe there's one particular thing in your life that, that you think you got it under control, you think you, you've got it going well, and, and it's lining up and lining up, but the sin just kind of creeps back in and just drags you back down. And there you are again, messed up. Do you ever just look at your life and think, you know what, when I sum it all up, I'm just one big screw up? Do you ever look at the world around you? And just go, it's full of screw-ups. It's full of people who are pretty much morons or idiots. I mean, think of when we drive. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're in our cars and we look around. In fact, um, it wasn't too long ago, I was driving the minivan with my entire family in it. And, and we're heading down to Home Depot. It's a Saturday. And, and uh, we're on um, East Lake or McMullen Booth Road. We're heading south. Um, we're going to the Home Depot that's over on 19 and Curlew. And so I'm getting close to Curlew Road. I'm going to need to get into the right lane so I can make a right-hand turn. And, and I look on over. I check all my mirrors. I see an opening. I, I turn on my signal. And I, I start uh, just kind of easing on over into to the right lane. And I can see in my rear view that the car that's behind me in the right lane all of a sudden just speeds up and pushes me out of the right lane. And I swerve out. I'm going, what in the world? So I do the Christian thing and I speed on past him down about, <laughs> about two cars down and, and, and I see another opening. And so I turn on my signal. I start easing on over into the right lane. And uh, this time, completely different car in the right lane starts laying on his horn on me. I'm like, what in the world? I swerve out again. I'm like, what's wrong with these idiots, these people? And, 
And that's when I noticed the flags on the cars and the hearse that's leading the funeral procession that I keep trying to... (laughs) Have you ever looked at the world around you and thought it's full of idiots and then realized you're the biggest one? (laughs) I missed my turn and... uh... I think Jacob, I think he wishes he was somebody different. I think he wishes he didn't do all the things he seems to keep on doing. In fact, from as far back Jacob can remember, he was destined to mess up. He was destined to be a failure. He was destined to be a jerk. If you look at his birth story in Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 24... Says this, when the time came for her, this is Rebecca, Isaac's wife, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, which is gross, and uh, his name was Esau. After this, his brother came out, and his hand was grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Jacob in Hebrew means heel grabber. And it's not a compliment. I'm sorry if your name's Jacob. It's just in Hebrew. It'll be all right. Heel grabber. It was an expression, an insulting expression. It's how you referred to somebody who would, who would trip somebody else up in order for them to gain something. For somebody uh, who, who would hold somebody else back if it meant it was better for them. For somebody who would do whatever it takes to deceive, to manipulate, to cheat. And Jacob lives up to his name. Decision after decision. You read Jacob's story. You see the things he does. And and, and you see what he gets away with. You see what he ends up inheriting. You see all these things. And, And I'll be honest, the more I read Jacob's story, the more I just don't like him. The more he, I'm just going, why God? Why this guy? What a tool. I mean, this guy, he cheats his way. He, he, he lies to, to his father. He cheats his brother. You know, he, this guy, and, and he gets, seems to get away with it. Or does he? See, I think Jacob doesn't like the guy he's become. I, I think for Jacob, his sins, his failures, his decisions have begun to pile up on him. Kind of like, like a bag of rocks. <sighs> His sin's becoming a burden. We've been talking about landmines as we've gone through this series. And for Jacob, his landmine is his past. It's piled up on him. It's full of rocks. Like regrets. It's full of rocks like deception, lies. It's full of rocks and decisions that were made out of fear. And for Jacob, his past, in his mind, is marked with failure. And it has piled up and caught it up to him so much so 
that he doesn't even think he's worthy of what he's cheated to get. It's become a bag of rocks, so much that it has immobilized him in his faith. He doesn't even think he's worthy of a relationship with the God of his father or of his grandpa. Jacob doesn't like the man he is. He doesn't like the man that he has become. And all he sees is a heel grabber. Well, eventually Jacob's mess catches up to him. And Jacob decides to run away from his past. In fact, his past has gotten so bad that, that he ditches all the things that he's, that he's cheated for. And, uh, and he feels like he knows his brother's had enough with him. And if he doesn't leave soon, his brother is going to kill him. So Jacob leaves it all behind. He, he, he leaves his father's land. He leaves his family behind. He leaves his birthright that he's cheated and stolen and gotten. He's, he leaves, as far as he's concerned, the God of his father and his grandpa and the blessings that that God bestows, he's left it all behind. He has one staff and that's it to his name. And he leaves his father's land. And as he's running away from his past, he crosses the border of his father's land. And, and there, once he's made it past the border, he decides to rest. And the Bible says that Jacob takes the only thing available to him and that is a rock. <laughs> And he lays his head upon a rock and he sleeps. And while he's sleeping, he has a dream or a vision, if you will. And in this vision, he sees a staircase that seems to connect the earthly realm to the heavenly realm. And he sees angels descending and ascending upon the staircase. And there atop the staircase, he hears a voice, the voice of God speaking to Jacob and he says this, in this is Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse 13. The voice said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I will give you, Jacob, and your descendants, the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will, <clears throat> you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Jacob's got to be going. You're telling me I still get the blessing? You're, you're telling me that, that you still care about my future, that you're still going to bless other people even though I've cheated my way, even though I'm running away from my past, even though I'm in my darkest moment and most shameful time of my life, and you're telling me you haven't given up on me? Have you ever felt that way? I, see, we talk about the gift of grace, and, and we thank God for the gift of grace, but do we really understand the gift of grace? That God looks at us and still loves us, still wants what's best for us, sees our sins, sees our past, sees our messed up situation, and says, you know what, I still want to bless people through your life, and I want you to be blessed. I still have a gift for you. I, I, I know this is your darkest moment. I know this is your most shameful place to be, but you know what? I haven't given up on you. I'm ready to make a wretch my treasure. 
I think we learn something from God, about God, in his interaction with Jacob. We learn how God handles and looks at messed up people. And one of the first things we learn is that God meets us where we are. God meets us where we are. The story goes on, Genesis chapter 28, verse 16 says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Well, why is Jacob so surprised to find God in this place? I think you need to understand a little something about ancient history at that time. See, in history, at least at that point, if you wanted to go visit with a God or have an interaction with a God or hope that a God would hear you, you would go to where you thought that God was at. So if you were Egyptian and you wanted to to, uh, worship Ra, the sun god, you would go over to Ra's temple. And there at Ra's temple, you would bring your sacrifices, you would bring your offerings, you would offer them before Ra, and then you would hope that Ra would hear you and maybe have mercy on you and, and at least listen to your cry and your plea. If you were Sumerian and, and you wanted to go worship the almighty water god Inki, which is one of the dumbest god names in the, in the history, but, but let's say you wanted to worship Inki, you would go to Inki's temple. And you would bring sacrifices and offerings to Inky and you would hope that Inky would hear you, would have mercy on you, and perhaps might intervene on your situation. But this God, well, he's different. This God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and now the God who claims he's going to be the God of Jacob, well, he's not bound by a building He's not bound by a temple. In fact, he says, you know what? Wherever you go, Jacob, that's where I'll be. I will meet you wherever you are. This God's mobile. This God is omnipresent. This God is not bound by anything we could set up. This God tells us where he's going to be, and he says it's right where you are. Early the next morning, this is verse 18, Jacob took the stone that he placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, which means house of God. Jacob took the stone and he used it as a memorial, as a monument of the God of his grandpa and his father, meeting him there outside the land of his father and grandpa interesting part of the story up until this point, and really for a good while after, is Jacob never describes this God as his God at this point. And he even goes on, and, and you'll see when in the chapters he talks about God, he's like, you know, the God of Abraham, my grandpa, the God of Isaac, but Jacob doesn't call him Jacob's God. It's kind of like Kurt talks about, you know, there's such thing as secondhand faith, Sometimes we can think we have faith, but it's really secondhand. In other words, we go, you know, I, I know, you know the God that my parents really care about, or they really took seriously, or they interacted with, or he was important to them. And we, and we talk about this God, but he's really not our God, because we've yet to have firsthand experience a personal dedication to him. And for Jacob, that's really, that's really the case um, up, uh, through this part of his story. It's not really his God, it's his dad's or his grandpa's. But nevertheless, God blesses Jacob. In fact, the the story goes on, Jacob goes out, he finds his uncle Laban, 
And his uncle Laban has two daughters, Rachel and Leah. Now, I thought it was interesting. There's always significance in names in the Bible. And so I was kind of looking up well, these names. And, and Leah, her name in Hebrew means wild cow. <laughs> Sorry if your name's Leah, just in Hebrew. Um, Rachel, little lamb. It's because his family, they, they were herders, they were shepherds. And, and so Jacob kind of joins in and, and, um, and he becomes a herder and a shepherd and and uh, the deceiver becomes deceived by his father-in-law. Um, this, this is what we learn about the two girls in uh, Genesis twenty-nine seventeen. Uh, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful, so Jacob loved Rachel. Not much has changed. And somehow, Laban tricks. He tricks Jacob into marrying both girls. And the deceiver doesn't like being deceived. And so as a result, he has two wives and then two concubines. And, uh, and he's the baby daddy of, of four mommies and, uh, and makes 12 sons. I think the interesting part is Leah is, as you watch her story, she's obviously the least loved. And yet she's able to have six of those 12 sons. One of those sons is named Judah. And Judah will eventually have a family of his own who will become a great tribe And through the tribe of Judah will come a man named Jesus who will bless the entire world. And God still takes care of his people. Well, God continues to bless Jacob and and he has uh, lots of children and his family grows bigger. He gets servants. um, He gets wealth. He, uh, he's blessed with uh, flocks of animals, and, and, uh, and God just pours on the blessing until one day God says, you know what, Jacob, it's time for you to go home. You've been in a place called Padan Aram for, for too long. I want you to go home. It's time to face your past. So Jacob packs up everything, and he starts to head back towards his father's land. And as he gets close to the border, he sends some servants ahead to scout ahead. They come back quickly with the report. They say, Jacob, you're going to want to hear this. Guess who's waiting to greet you on the other side of the border? It's your brother Esau. And he has with him 400 fighting men ready to meet you. Well, Jacob's terrified. And even though he has not claimed God as his own God at this point, he prays and cries out to God. In chapter 32, starting at verse 9, Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, who said to, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. Still doesn't claim him as his God, but he cries out to him. And he acknowledges, I'll just be honest, you know, all these blessings you've given me, I don't deserve. I know that. I know I'm not worthy of what you've provided. And I'm begging you now, save me. That night, um, Jacob's in his camp and he sends away his servants and his flocks. He sends away his family. He kind of sends them kind of what he he hopes is a safe route across the border. In in the meantime, Jacob stays back in the camp. And his thought is if Esau comes and attacks the camp, all he'll get is me. 
And the Bible says that night while Jacob is alone in the camp, a man walks into Jacob's camp. But when you look at it in the Hebrew and how the story reads, you realize it's not just any man. Some scholars, they say, well, maybe he was an angel. A lot of scholars, in the way it reads, think, nope, nope, this is a God-man. This is somehow God in some sort of human form, some sort of God with flesh on. Maybe, just maybe, it's the incarnate Christ. It's Jesus, just maybe, who walks into his camp. Isn't it interesting that when Jacob says, Oh God, I don't deserve your goodness. Oh God, save me. Guess who shows up in the camp? Well, we learn a little something about God through this experience, and that is the God-man walks into the camp and then engages engages Jacob into, into a wrestling match that goes the entire night long. A wrestling match. Maybe Jesus walks into the camp, sees Jacob, and says, bring it on. And the two men begin to wrestle all night. Now, I'm not talking the WWFWE fake stuff, all right? I'm not talking the stuff that makes the Olympics so great. I, I am talking about wrestling, high school style. I, I did youth ministry for 11 years, and I've been to those wrestling matches. I've watched my students stand proudly there in their unitard. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, you got these two guys on both sides of the mat, and, and they don't know each other from Adam. And, and uh, you know, and, and they're from different schools, maybe different walks of life. But when that whistle blows, the two men engage. And I would watch kids from my youth group turns, turn all shades of purple and red that I've never seen before. As they're twisting and, and turning and wrestling and trying to pin down the other and trying to choke the other one out and trying to flop the other one down. And, and, and they don't know each other from Adam. But by the time that match is over... Those two guys know what each other looks like, what they sound like, what they smell like, what they feel like, and what they taste like. (laughs) Because when you engage in a wrestling match, it becomes intimate. And I think God is setting a new standard. He is marking a time in history, and he's saying, this is what I want from my people. This is the relationship I want to have. I will meet you wherever you are, and I will engage you however you are. Bring your fears, bring your desperation, bring your doubts, bring your bag of rocks, and let's get it on. And so about the time that we engage with this God, the time when he shows up and we show up, we just wrap each other up in each other's arms. And by the time it's over, we know what God looks like, what he sounds like, what he smells like, what he feels like, and what he tastes like. That God is looking for this type of relationship with his people. Well, they wrestle throughout the entire night. And then the God-man decides it's time for this wrestling match to come to a close. And and so your Bible may read something like this. The God-man touches Jacob's hip bone. And his hip becomes wrenched out of socket. 
Now, now how it reads in the Hebrew is, we don't really know, we, we know there's a touch or it's the same word for strike. And it doesn't say where the God-man touched, but we do see the, the outcome was definitely a hip out of socket. Very painful experience. Now, there's some scholars who, who, who say, well, probably what, what this God-man did was he, he hit Jacob's femur, the strongest bone in the body, maybe even broke the femur to show God's mighty strength and that he can break the strongest bone in the body to pop a hip out of socket. And that might be true. And then there are some scholars who have studied some of the ancient arts of wrestling back then. And there was a very common move that when done right, it was a strike, but when, when applied right, the end outcome was a hip out of socket. It wasn't a strike to the femur. It, it wasn't even a strike to the kneecap. But it was a strike when done just right. We popped the hip out of socket. It was a strike to the heel of the opponent. Maybe. Just maybe. Jacob is wrestling with Jesus. Just maybe. And Jesus, before the match can be done, will strike Jacob in a body part that represents his sin, his past who Jacob thinks he is. Perhaps before they can end it, they have to deal with his reputation. They have to deal with his sins of the past. And it is going to be a painful process. Either way, when God engages with us, he says, we gotta dig this up. We gotta deal with this. Mark Driscoll says, if you want God to use you greatly, he must first wound you deeply. If you want God to use you greatly, he must first wound you deeply. I don't care if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. The past hurts. I don't care if you deal with it or you try to never deal with it. It still hurts. But God will meet you where you are. He will engage you as you are. And he will deal with your past. And it will hurt. But when there's pain with Christ, it's not just pain. It's meaningful pain. And it's pain that you don't have to go through alone. That he's there, says, let's get this on. You in my arms. And let's deal with this together. I I think it's interesting if we're honest and God knows this. What brings us closer together in relationship anyway? Is it, going, is it going through the good times together? Or is it wrestling through the tough times, the painful times, the hurtful times? And both ending up on the other side of the tunnel. I think God knows what's going to bring us together See, God's going to meet us where we are. God is going to engage us as we are. But something inevitably happens when he does this every time. And that is God is going to change us from who we were. It's what he does. It's what he does. It's the purpose. The story goes on. 
chapter 32, verse 26 through 28. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The God-man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered, or heel grabber, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be heel grabber, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. In other words, the God man says, you know what? Your name is no longer heel grabber. That's no longer who you are. That's no longer a way to identify yourself. That's in the past and we have dealt with that past. Your name is now Israel, which means God wrestler. One of the coolest names in the whole Bible goes to heel grabber. He's no longer heel grabber. He is God wrestler. And I know that God has a new name for you. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 20 years or if you've considered it for the last 20 minutes. I know that God, he's not looking for perfect people. That God is looking for people who who may have fears, who may have doubts, who may have a bag of rocks. And he says, bring it on. I'm looking for somebody who will engage with me. Who will jump into my arms and let's do this. Let's do this together. I'm looking for a people who will every day jump in my arms and wrestle with me. I am looking for God wrestlers. Because if we can meet together. And and if we can engage. Then I can change you from who you were. And your past will no longer identify you. But people will know who you wrestle with. Verse 30 through 31 says, So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, and he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Many scholars believe that Israel limped for the rest of his life. God is ready to meet you where you are. He's ready to engage you as you are, and he will inevitably change you. But you may have to be willing to walk away with a limp. In other words, people could look at Israel. He had changed. He had had an experience that, that, that people knew something had changed within him. He was a different kind of person, and they knew it because it reflected in the way he walked through this life. Are you willing To walk away from an encounter with God with a limp so that the rest of this world will know who you wrestle with and who has changed you. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to follow me, pick up your couch and follow me. He says, I have a cross for you to bear and God will change you to look more and more like me. But there will be some pain involved. We will have to deal with some things in the past. But you will never walk the same again. And people will know who it is that you wrestle with. God continues to bless Jacob. In fact, he crosses over the border. There's Esau and his 400 men waiting for him. And all Esau has for his brother Jacob is an embrace. And he says, let my 400 men escort you back into your land, brother. Welcome home. And and while things are settled and and peace is restored, um, the the Bible tells us at the end of chapter 33, starting verse 18, says, uh, Jacob came from Padan Aram. He arrived safely at the city of Shechem and Canaan, camped within sight of the city. And there he set up an altar. And he called it El 
Elohe Israel, which means God is the God of Israel. First time Israel acknowledges God as his God. I don't know what you bring to church this morning. I don't know what's in your bag of rocks. But I watched the story of Jacob in his interaction with God. And he memorializes by building an altar, by building a memorial, a monument. There's a Hebrew phrase that we see at the very beginning of Genesis. It describes the God of the universe, and it's called Tube Hen. It describes a rare ability that only God has. It's translated later into Latin. It's called ex nihilo. And what this ability is, is to take what seems like chaos, that God can take what seems like a big mess, and he can use it build something for his glory in fact as it's passed down through rabbinical history the rabbis would teach the children and they would teach the Jews they would teach the believers they would put it simply this way he is the God who wastes nothing I don't know what your bag of rocks looks like this morning but I know there's a God who's ready to meet you where you are, to engage with you as you are, and to change you from who you were.